What if I tell you that having a baby could be easy? How can you have your beautiful, positive, unmedicated, and natural birth so that you can step into your conscious motherhood? Hello, my name is Vivi. I am a midwife, a birth coach, and I am a early motherhood coach. And I'm here to show you how birth can be easy. You know why? You're never going to forget that day. And you want it to be the best day of your life. Tune in while we'll dive in on how you can have your positive birth and you can have a positive motherhood. Happy listening. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this beautiful podcast. It's always me, Bibi, your holistic midwife. And today I am joined by Nicole, beautiful Nicole. She is a midwife as well. And we've been knowing each other for a long time. I feel like he's um, eight years. Eight. Yeah, about that. I think when we met at uni, <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. Eight years. So that's a very long time. So Nicole, just introduce yourself for our listeners. Yeah. So I'm Nicole. I'm a private midwife on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Um, I work in private practice now, which is a relatively new development development for me I've been in private practice for a couple of years but I've been a midwife for about eight years or so and worked in mostly in the public system but did do some stints in the private system as well um, and just the more that I saw in both of those places made me realize that that was not the place for me so that's where I've moved into private practice and um, I'm loving it yeah absolutely <laughs> that is so 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 good so we will get a little bit more into it but uh, what we wanted to discuss today basically is uh, especially in Australia I guess uh, there is a lot of misconception I guess and uh, um, I guess misunderstanding as well on what happened once you know that you are pregnant I mean like most women what they do is they go to the GP and then they end up booking in at the hospital. That's just standard and that is just normal. And that's what I think uh, um, I also thought that was just the normality of it. And that's just how it goes pretty much, you know. I feel like also up until roughly when I was pregnant with my first baby, I didn't realize that actually there is another way if you want. So let's discuss a little bit about it. And I guess the different option that a woman could go um, through. Yeah. So in Australia, you're right. There is a very much the culture that if you're pregnant, you turn up to your GP, your GP asks you if you have private health or public health. And depending on what you answer, you get shunted down one path or another. So if you are a public health client, then often you see your GP for the majority of your pregnancy care, unless you're considered to be high risk, and I'm using air quotes for that, um, or you see the midwives and the doctors at the hospital, you then go and have your baby at a public hospital and you get follow-up through the public hospital system. Um, if you're a private client, then you get referred to a private obstetrician of your choosing, or maybe the GP recommends someone, and then you see a private obstetrician birth your baby in a private hospital. Now, for a lot of women, um, it, that system is a quite, especially the public system, is very much a cookie cutter system. You turn up, you're one of hundreds of other women. Um, there's a list of things that they want you to do. They And often the explanation is, well, this is what we do at 20 weeks. This is what we do at 28 weeks. 
Um, and you're often feeling a little bit like, well, if I don't do those things, then I'm a bit naughty. Um, and if you turn up to an appointment, for example, and you haven't had the bloods done or you decided not to do the glucose test, then you're given a lecture about how irresponsible you are and how, you know, you're going to do damage to your baby and all of these different things. So I think that's where women have started to reach outside of that and go, you know what, there's got to be a better way, um, especially when we're seeing that the statistics are showing us more and more that public health and private health are not producing fabulous outcomes for birth. You know, when a woman walks into a public hospital system, she has a 30% chance of having a cesarean. It doesn't matter if she's a healthy well woman, if she's got triplets, if she's got a cardiac condition, it doesn't matter her health risk factor. She has a 30% chance or more of a cesarean. And if she goes to a public hospital, that jumps up to, uh, sorry, a private hospital, that jumps up to nearly 50%. So for women, most women, when you sit down and talk to them about what they imagine their birth experience to be, it's often quite natural with their family, their partner, um, in a loving, safe environment the idea that they will allow their body to do what it needs to do and they'll birth their baby beautifully. But then the reality of the system is that doesn't really allow that for ha to happen for most women. So about 90% of women have some risk factor, again, using air quotes, and then their care is managed and, you know, birth is managed to the point where then often we're doing lots and lots of intervention for these women and it's producing poorer outcomes. There's no nice way to say it. You know, if we're inducing 42% of first-time mothers, you can't tell me that 42% of women, their body doesn't work and they're, and they're not going to go into labor. That just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like the problem really lays in the fact that women are kind of starting to do their research then later, Absolutely. you know, because mm -hmm. they are already into that machine, which is the system. While I feel like... Uh, our responsibility now you know is to try and actually get to the women before they fall <laughs> into the trap I call it trap <laughs> into the trap you know of uh, um, the medicalized system pretty much you know so I think like uh, I guess like what is important for a woman to know that uh, when you know that you're pregnant there is also another way that is not just the way of GP uh, public hospital or GP private hospital. So maybe talk us a little bit more around that. Yeah. So a lot of women, you are right. And I know I was the same when I had my babies, I turned up at the GP, they told me what to do and I did it and I had reasonably good births. But looking back, I actually feel that rather than that being a good experience, I look back and think I actually got lucky because knowing what I know now, um, I feel like I maybe there was, lucky, I can, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see there were instances in some of my births that could have ended very differently. Yeah. I, I just got lucky with the care team I had available and that I turned up quite late in my labors and those types mm. of things. So I think women, as you said, culturally, if you're in a in a system in our society where you get pregnant, you see a GP, you go to hospital, that's how you'll birth. If you look at women who maybe live in areas of town where home birth is more prevalent, they get pregnant, they speak to their friends, they find a midwife, they plan a home birth. It's, it's purely cultural about how we look at birth. So more and more, and you are right, women are hearing stories from their friends, their cousins, their sisters, and they're thinking, I don't want that. That sounds awful. So what they're doing then is going, okay, well, I know I don't want option A, what else is there? So then women start doing a bit of research. They listen to podcasts. And I mean, it's amazing at the moment, 
there's so much amazing information on social media, podcasts, YouTube, you name it. Like, yeah, there's some crap out there and you do have to sift through it, but there is some really good information for women to find and they can go down the rabbit hole of going, okay, what do I want my care to look like? So now a lot, a lot of women are choosing private midwifery care. So having a midwife, having the continuity of care, seeing the same midwife, having your care tailored to you, I suppose. Um, you know, the clients that I care for, I don't think a single one of them are doing the exact same thing. We offer them all the same things that they can have in hospital if they're having hospital care, like bloods or ultrasounds or screening tests or whatever. And But the difference is they get to decide what feels best for them. So my job is to give the information. Their job is to make the decision. So they might ask more questions. They might want to look at some podcasts or journal articles to get a real feel for that. It's not my job to convince them to do option A, which is what often the system feels like is this is what we'd like you to do and we're going to try and convince you to do that. So I I literally give women all the options and then they decide, are they going to do the thing? Are they going to do an alternative? Are they going to do nothing? That's entirely up to them. So then throughout the course of their care, women who have a private midwife, some choose to birth in hospital. Um, some might just have private care for antenatal care and postnatal care, having that really nice continuity. So um, let's just go back a little bit on that. Yeah. When a woman is pregnant, she still needs to go to her GP. Is that correct? Yes. As yeah, far so, as today? Yeah. So at the moment in Australia, you still require a GP referral for a private mm-hmm. midwife. There is a bit of gatekeeping around that in some, in, in by that I mean, some GPs will say, well, I don't agree with that. I think you're high risk and you need to see an obstetrician. So I'm not going to sign this form. Um, at the end of the day, it's unfortunate, but th- that is the, the climate that we are in. So some women do have to doctor shop, which is unfair. Um, even for clients who are choosing to home birth, if they say, oh, I'm planning a home birth, they might find that their GP says, well, I don't agree with home birth, so I'm not signing it. Um, regardless of the fact that it's not their decision, it's not their right to stop the woman from doing that. So a lot of the time women are being probably not telling the whole truth. They're saying, oh, yeah, I'm booked in at the hospital, but they're not intending to birth there. But that's the only way they're going to get a referral, which is. And and just to be clear, like, uh, why is the reason why as far as today, the women Mm. still needs to go to their GP to actually have uh, their private midwifery care? Yeah. So generally the referral is to allow us to access Medicare rebates. So we can bulk bill the women. Some midwives do that. Some midwives. Um, give the women a rebate like Medicare gives them a rebate but it's also part of our collaborative arrangement meaning we need to show that we have spoken with a doctor and agreed that you know but that we liaise with doctors all the time whether that's hospital or the GP we might send them a letter to be like hey I've done these recent bloods and her iron was low and we're going to do xyz just to keep them in the loop it's it's a professional relationship like in any other area of care Um, so that's why we do that and it's so that we can show as midwives, that we are also liaising with other members of the medical team should we need to. You know, if a woman's got high blood pressure, we reach out to an obstetrician, give them some information, they give us some information and we share that with the woman and then she makes a decision from there. Yeah, exactly. So as far as today, um, I would say that still, you know, this first step for a woman when she's pregnant, it, it will still be to go to her GP yeah. to get a referral for mm-hmm. a private midwife, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, in, yeah. And I mean, some women choose not to, they, they're like, I'm not interested in arguing with my GP. I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not worried about getting the, the Medicare benefits back. Yeah. Which is a shame because that's like $1,200 they're missing out on just because their GP is being a jerk. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they could still access even without the GP referral. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So they can't access the, the like, we can't bulk bill them. If we bulk bill. Yeah. yeah. So it's just that. Yeah. 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 They'd okay. have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then once they have uh, had the referral and they reach out to the private midwife, does that mean they don't need to go to the hospital? Do they still need to go to the hospital? Because I think it's also a little bit different from reality mm. to reality. Yeah. So just keep in mind that when you're listening to this podcast, it really depends also where you're living and what is the area and the hospital where you're living in. What is the arrangement that has got with your private midwife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where we are here in Queensland or on the Gold Coast specifically, our clients don't see the GP or the hospital if they don't need to. So we do a backup booking. The hospital rings the woman, does like a booking in sort of over the phone to have as a backup booking with the hospital. Um, But we can do all their care. So if they need bloods or scans or things like that, if they need antibiotics for a UTI, we can prescribe those things. It's only if something comes up in their pregnancy that's not pregnancy related. Um, like, or if they have something that is outside the scope of normal pregnancy. So, you know, if she falls over and breaks her leg, I can't help her with that. If she has super high blood pressure in pregnancy, that's something she needs to see an obstetrician for and maybe look at alternatives or get some medication, whatever that plan might be. But that doesn't mean that us as midwives sort of wash our hands of it and go, oh, that's a shame. Off you go to the doctor's clinic. Um, We still follow up with those women and still care for them just in conjunction with the medical team. So it may be that she gets medication for her high blood pressure and then we just go about our care as we normally would, just monitoring that and, and letting the obstetrician know, yes, what, what you have prescribed is working. Thank you very much. You know. Yeah, exactly. And how does it look, uh, um, you know, pregnancy-wise when a woman, you know, once we've, uh, you know, brushed off of the all the technicalities, so we've got our GP referral, mm. we have been book in into the hospital so we've got a backup booking and I just want to say a little thing about that most midwives will offer um to do this backup booking and it's just because most private midwives have this arrangement with the hospital um just in case of course you know if someone says no it is no but I would recommend like you know if you can do it it's just a phone uh, call mm-hmm. pretty much and all they do is they just put all your stuff in their system I feel like although myself I free birthed I booked in myself by myself for all my babies because it was just the easiest way to go and I feel like in the reality where we are now um, it's probably just the easiest way easiest thing to do so it's nothing is going to happen to you you know if you're like no I don't want I don't want to do deal with the hospital like nothing really is going to happen to you they're just gonna put all your stuff into the system and really that's about it isn't it yeah and it's part of transfer planning like you said I don't know it's also good so that if something happens I don't know she slips over in her driveway at 25 weeks she can go into hospital they can check her out they go oh yes I see you had your bloods last week I see you had a scan three weeks ago. Everything's great. Thanks so much. See you later. Yeah. Um, and, and if we need to transfer from home, 
hospitals tend to like us better if we if we come in and they know the client. Yeah. Um, which sometimes makes me feel like it's a bit of one of those boxes to tick because, of course, if a pregnant woman showed up here from another state and she was unwell and she went to the hospital, they're not going to say, oh, sorry, love, you don't have your details here, you can't come in. They're going to care for her. So, uh, But in terms of from our, our perspective as midwives, to make our transfers smoother – or when I ring up and say, hey, I want to talk to you about BB, they can look her up and go, oh, yes, I can see what we've done. I can see that you've sent us this information. We can answer your questions yeah, and properly. that is exactly yeah. right. And even like, you know, for yeah. me, I knew I was going to have a free birth, but I knew I was going to go later. And I was yeah. like, I am not spending an hour just to tell you all the things that have happened during my pregnancy. That's and right. so it's that like, is I one of the reasons why I booked in. Yeah. Yeah. So generally, once we have, tick the boxes, like you said, got the GP referral. We've done a booking in the, the client and the midwife. The hospital's given her a call and done a booking in. Most of our appointments are whatever the woman needs them to be. So yes, we do the basics like listen to her blood pressure, listen to the baby's heartbeat, feel her tummy, let her know the positioning of her baby as they as it grows. Um, but the things that we touch on are the things that are important to the woman. So for some appointments, we might spend a lot of time talking about breastfeeding or another appointment, she might have had someone tell her some horrific birth story. And we spend a lot of time unpacking that and getting, you know, and other times we do the bare minimum in terms of blood pressure, listening to baby. And she just needs to debrief because her grandma died and she's got a lot of grief around that. And we spend time working through that. So a lot of the time it's not just, hi, how are you doing? Oh, you're good. Great. Next. Like we spend a lot of time with the women. So by the time she's birthing I've known her for nearly eight months like seeing her quite regularly I know her dog's names I know her kids names I know where the tea lives in her cupboards like I know her well enough that I don't need to ask her you know questions about oh would you like this would you like that like I don't I already know I already know the answers so then she can just get on with the business of having a baby and I can support her in the way that I know that she's going to want to be supported whether that's lots of hands-on or maybe not maybe some women want lots of verbal encouragement. Maybe some women are like, don't talk to me. I just want silence. And that's good to know. And, you know, that's how we, by having that continuity of relationship, that's that's where the important part is. Because then on the day when I turn up for her birth, whether it's in hospital or at home, I already know everything about her. I don't need to ask the little questions and interrupt her flow. Yeah, so that's amazing. So what you're saying is that you actually support women at home to have a home birth or at the hospital. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So unfortunately, where we live in Queensland, here on the Gold Coast, there's not what is known as visiting rights. Some hospitals all around Australia, I know there's some further north here in Queensland, midwives have what is called visiting rights, which means I can care for a woman in her home. If she births in hospital or we need to transfer to hospital, I can still care for her as a midwife in that space because I'm essentially like, got a level of employment with the hospital so to speak like I can go there and switch to the hospital midwife and be caring for her unfortunately we don't have that on the Gold Coast so that basically means that if a client is birthing in hospital say she's chosen to birth there and she's known that she's birthing there I am her support person I can't do blood pressures I can't do internal examinations I can't make plans of care Um, I can you know discuss options with her if she's saying they want to do this that doesn't feel good what are my alternatives I can talk you know I can help explain things if she doesn't understand um, if she's been told she has to do something and she doesn't want to I can sort of work through like why might they be suggesting that what are they worried about does that feel good for you 
but I can't care for her. Yeah. Um, well, you're still home. caring. You're still very yeah. much caring for her. You just can't do clinical things, which I yeah. feel like is much better to be honest well um, I, that's because... one of the reasons I don't I'm not worried about visiting rights yeah I feel like when I'm there I can support her fully and I'm not worried about doing like I've worked as a hospital midwife I know that a lot of the time we're spending our time filling in boxes on the computer yeah. and talking to the team leader outside the room rather than being able to care for the woman. yeah exactly so I'm happy to leave that to the hospital midwives they, yeah. they give us a midwife so, you know, we arrive and they're like, hi, this is Susie. She's going to care for you. Um, and we work in conjunction with them. And I've never had a problem with that. We've yeah. had really beautiful midwives caring for the women. And they've always respected that she's had her mum or a doula or a midwife or whoever's there with her. Yeah, I've, I've not found any clashes with that. Um, but, you know, there are stories of, you know, hospital midwives not respecting private midwives. But yeah. I've not encountered that in yeah. my experience so far. That's good. So basically their support at the hospital, uh, we can call it more like doula support, correct? Yeah, essentially that's what we would be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. which is very good because like I had uh, like uh, as my personal story, I made the mistake actually to choose someone that had visiting right. Mm. And because of that, they had to actually caseload um, their women before mm. they could be approved to have home yes, birth so right. with the hospital right I didn't know all these things back then you know and I was a midwife and I was just like I'm just gonna have a private midwife easy done you know and uh, the way it was explained like yeah we have hospital right so if you do go to the hospital we'll just come with you we'll take care of you la la whatever but uh, the problem was that if there is anything that goes outside from what are the hospital guidelines and policy the midwife is actually it's she has to she's follow obligated. that yeah, and so obligated. what happened is yeah what happened is the hospital said well first baby with three fibroids yeah. <laughs> hell no she can't birth at home and so the midwife said uh, you Sorry, haven't been approved to birth at home so I can support you at the hospital as in clinical care but I can't support you at home if I want to keep my visiting right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, you're fired. That's that's very much unfortunately what happens in terms of you can have visiting rights if you do this. You can have visiting rights if you do this, which to me means I'm beholden to them, not Mm. the woman. So Mm. when I turn up with a client in labour and maybe they're pushing for her to have a CTG and she says no, well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not having to meet a policy to say, well, the policy says that you have to do this yeah, and I'm going to exactly. be in trouble. I just say to them, well, she's declined to get her to sign the paperwork. You can give her the speech. She said, no, at the end of the day, I'm there to support her. I'm not there to convince her to do what yeah, you want. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where I actually like the fact there's more freedom for us Yes. Um, uh, to follow the evidence, not to follow what the policy says. Yeah. I'm not employed by Queensland Health or New South Wales Health or whatever. Um, mm. So therefore, I don't have to meet their policies. Those policies are for their employees. Yeah. Not and so I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, like even for a woman when she is choosing like her midwife, just to keep in mind that uh, when she chose a midwife that has private midwife that has got hospital rights, then it is similar to going into the government home birth program because she will have to follow those uh, guidelines and mm, policies. Guidelines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just keep in mind because I didn't know and I was a midwife, you know, and I and I was just like, 
what do you mean? mean? I yeah. am paying you <laughs> yeah. seven grand to be my yeah. midwife. And you're just saying to me that I have to birth at the hospital. And I'm like, you're fired. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it can be tricky. And that's where we as private midwives have a little bit more leeway. And, and you know, unfortunately, the system, we do have women that come to, to home birth that aren't always low-risk women. Like, you know, they're women nah. that maybe the hospital doesn't think they should have a home birth but those women are coming to home birth because they're not supported to have the wishes and the birth that they want in hospital they're being told well you won't be allowed in the water you'll have to have a ctg you have to do the you know three other scans because we're worried about baby's growth you have to do the gestational diabetes screen and the woman's thinking well i don't want to do any of those things or some of them or not all of them so therefore you're telling me if i come into birth with you that I'm not actually going to get the birth I want because I'm now this high risk, you know, person. I'm not going to get the care that I want. You're going to push me to do things I don't want to do. So therefore they choose home birth. Um, yeah. So yeah, we do have women who choose home birth that, you know, from a publicly funded home birth model would never be accepted because. Exactly. And that you know, I guess is important also to make women understand that you can absolutely have a home birth, even with the publicly funded, but just remember they are rules and they are regulamentation. What that means is that some of the publicly publicly funded um, programs, um, if you haven't had X amount of scan and uh, some of the testing, and you are not uh, in the low risk, uh, so you can't you can't be high risk, so you can't be twins, you can be V back. Uh, they won't they won't uh, allow you to have. Uh, a home birth so just keep in mind that to have a home birth publicly funded you need to stay into the low risk but you also need to tick all the boxes that they want yeah and the tricky thing is we're finding now and you would know from being working in the hospital too bb that from 10 years ago when we first started to now what is classed as high risk in air quotes? There is so many more things. Yeah, everybody and, pretty you, much. Pretty <laughs> it's much like you breathe, you're high risk. <laughs> you know, every woman would have something um, yeah. that would classify them as a higher risk pregnancy. So therefore, we very rarely see in the hospital what are considered to be low risk women. Yeah, it's true. Too, yeah, she's either too old, too fat, had too yeah. many babies. <laughs> um, she, you know, she maybe she bled a bit too much at her first birth, <sighs> never mind the fact that they might have caused that. Yeah. You know, maybe she's had two cesareans before because, you know, she had failed inductions that they pushed. So everyone has a risk factor. So therefore yeah. almost no one fits into the box that they it's prescribe. True. It's and true. as you said, I, you know, I have a friend who works in a publicly funded home birth system and it can be really devastating because suddenly at 39 weeks, the woman's being told, sorry, you're kicked out of the program. She's been with this midwife nine months and yeah. you know she's a couple of weeks out from birth and being told no yeah and she gets to 41 weeks and six days and because she hasn't had her baby tomorrow she's no longer eligible to be in that program and she's yeah. being pushed out so there she goes from the time where things are the most stressful for her to having her care provider pulled out from underneath her yeah, whereas totally. I think that the benefit of being like a private midwife um, standalone is that I don't ever withdraw my care unless there's a reason I choose. And that can be something like the woman hasn't paid me. It's yeah. not a case of, oh, well, now you've got this risk factor or that risk factor. I'm not going to care for you. Yeah. Um, I, I can't think of a single instance where I've withdrawn care from a, from a client. Yeah. Um, but there may be. Other midwives have parameters that they will and won't work with. But to me, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what happens for that woman and her care. 
we're together till the end, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and, I guess, she... and I guess for the woman is a good conversation to have with the midwife, you know, before, please, 36 or 37 weeks. Absolutely. Because I it's see like all the, the time, you know, women desperate have 36, 37 weeks or 38 weeks that they are looking for someone to have their home birth. And it's like, it's a bit late now, you know. Mm. So try and have this conversation if you can. Like the moment you have decided that you want to have a home birth, you want to have a private midwife, you need to have all this conversation with your private Absolutely. midwife. You know, what I'm, what, what if I'm 43 on the day I am about to have a baby, you know, mm -hmm. because of course, if for example, the midwife has got hospital rights, you know, you know, 43 weeks, sorry, 43, um, 43 mm -hmm. years old, uh, sorry, but no, you know, yeah, so absolutely. Are, <laughs> those are the things that we need things that uh, you need to know. Yeah. And that's the things I think we need to have women asking because you're right. They suddenly get this shock when they're told, oh, well, if you decline the gestational diabetes screen, then you can't be a part of this program. Yeah. Or, you know, um, you, your blood pressure has been a slightly elevated and now we've had to talk about it at a case conference and they've decided, you're, they have decided that you are no longer safe for yeah. hunger. So the, the risk in that case is not defined by the woman, it's defined by the system. Yeah. Whereas in a home birth situation, like, yes, we are a team, the, the client and I, but the risk is defined by the woman. Yeah. So I say to her, your risk of stillbirth increases post 42 weeks, whatever it is, or your risk of this increases or your risk of that, you know, but she decides, does that feel like a big risk for me or not a big risk? For yeah. Me? Not my decision to make. That's for her to decide. Um, so I think when in the system, that's something to think about is the fact that the risk is defined by them. They mm -hmm. decide what is considered high risk and what's not. Yeah. There's not really room for discussion. It's not like you can go, well, I've brought some evidence as to why that's rubbish. They yeah. don't care. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're going, well, this is what we recommend. We're not, they're not going to just change their mind and go, oh, yeah, actually, you can home birth now. They're not going to do that. So yeah. um, women often take matters into their own hands, like other people that we know, <laughs> and do what they want. And that's, you know, and that's unfortunate that women sometimes have to do that because there's no other choice. Yeah, it is. That isn't, you know, and that's why, like, I, when I see, like, all these publicly funded home births, I'm like, it's amazing. However, it can be yeah. a scam sometimes, yeah. you know. I, I feel like it's a little bit, just from my experiences hearing women, women who've come to me to have a second baby, perhaps had a publicly funded home birth the mm. first time, they've, they've said the experiences are completely different. Like, yes, they birthed at home last time and they had a nice birth, but the actual care and the follow-up yeah. is different. Um, and my, my colleagues who have worked in a publicly funded home birth system have said that at times their hands are still tied in the same way that a hospital midwife is. A very, it, very. it is a little bit of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a great option for women who want a home birth and can't afford a private midwife. Yeah. Um, but I would say if that's something that's really important to you, then make it happen. You know, we, we can make, save money for all sorts of things. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> one of my, one of my colleagues literally had a woman who asked for money for a baby from baby shower and sold stuff on marketplace yeah. and then eventually ended up getting out a small personal loan to yeah. pay her for the, for her care. And most people will be like, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? But we get a credit card to go on a holiday or to put yeah. new tires on the car. Um, <laughs> or the new iPhone is, is $3,000. <laughs> absolutely. Right. So I think it's about looking at what's important to you and and as we know, women who've birthed babies before know that birth is one of those things you will never, ever, ever forget it. Ever, so whether ever. that's ever, whether it's wonderful or not so wonderful, or you had a good experience or a bad experience, 
you know, my grandma is 93 and she still remembers that the nurses were mean to her. Yeah. You know, and her, yeah. she, her youngest baby is 60 odd years old now. So she still remembers being scared of being left there alone, like yeah. in the 50s. Whereas, you know, it affects a woman for the rest of her life, you know, and, yeah. and if she has a traumatic experience, that's something she carries forever. Yeah. So it, to me, it's worth the investment. <laughs> yeah, we are. I think I always say to everybody, uh, I think like we are very cheap, actually, if you think about it, but it's okay. We'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I do think, and when you think about like from private obstetric care, for example, and I have worked in a private hospital, yeah. the women end up out of pocket about five to $6,000. Don't quote me, every obstetrician slightly different. Yeah. And yes, they see their obstetrician regularly, but those appointments are about 15 minutes. Mm. Um, and then they go into labor. They have the hospital midwives care for them during that labor. The obstetrician comes in in the last couple of hours when she births her baby. Then she he pats the midwives on the back and goes, awesome, I'm going back to bed, see you all tomorrow. They clean up, they tidy up, they get the baby on the breast. They do all those things to help the woman to support her. And then they pop in to visit her over the next couple of days while she's in hospital. So she maybe stays three or four days. Yeah. She gets a couple of visits to check she's doing okay. And then she doesn't see them again for six weeks. Yeah, so that's it. You know, we see women once or twice or three times a week for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Sure so really uh, just to go back to the home birth, and then we can go into the postpartum because this is also yeah. very important. So how does the home birth look like? So for a woman that uh, actually decided to have a private midwife, she's not sabotaged because I feel like sometimes uh, women are actually sabotaged by midwives. <laughs> I'm like, she's not sabotaged by the uh, midwife and uh, she's ready to have a home birth. Mm -hmm. So generally when women are intending on birthing at home, the, the timeline is set by them. So they're, they go into labor, they're having their good time at home until they feel that they need us to come. Sometimes if it's a first time mum, we get there and maybe things aren't quite far enough along, but sometimes just us going along and checking in on them and going, you know what, this is normal, you're doing great, is enough for them to be able to relax and then to continue and to feel, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is happening, it's all normal, I'm good. Um, and then we might come back later. Generally, when they call us, we stay, you know, once they call us and, and birth is happening, like in terms of labours rocking on, we don't leave. It's not a case of I go, well, I've been here 12 hours. Sorry, I've got to go. Sometimes I've been at birth for 36 hours, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's that element too when people think, oh, what, are, what am I actually paying for? You know, sometimes I'm there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And that might mean I have a sleep on their lounge or I go out to my car and have a sleep um, because she needs support in that space. And that's yeah. what I'm there for. Um, so then once the baby is born and the mum and the dad are just reveling in this awesome little person that they've created, we as the, the second midwife and I generally just sit back and let them do their thing. So that might be cuddling in the pool. Maybe they want to get out and cuddle on the lounge. And then when the placenta's ready, um, we let that happen physiologically. Very rarely do we use syntocin on. The few times I've used it, it's because women have requested it. Yeah. Maybe have had a really long labor and they're like, well, I've waited two hours for this placenta and I've had enough and I just want to go to bed. So can you just mm -hmm. get it out, please? <laughs> so that might be when we would use it. And then we get them tucked up into bed, make sure she's had something to eat and off we go and leave them to, to like just enjoy each other and then come back the next day to check. Yeah. Out. Sometimes that's a long visit. Sometimes it's, oh, I can see you're doing awesome. Okay. I'll come back tomorrow. Um, and we just touch base with them. And it's also the fact that they've got someone they can call, you know, if it's five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and they're like, oh, this is a bit weird. What do you think of this? Like they've got someone they can message to ask those questions. Yeah. Or if their baby's not feeding well, 
they can say, okay, do you think you can pop by this afternoon rather than going, okay, well, I have to pack up, get myself dressed, go down to the clinic. They don't have a space. I have to come back tomorrow. Like there's just so much more convenience for the women in terms of how that care looks and what is, it's for them. It's not about the convenience of the care provider. Um, you know, obviously in hospital, it's like, well, we are open from this time to this time and you have to come then. Um, whereas for us, you know, we sometimes go and do early morning visits or we do late in the afternoon visits. Sometimes we duck off to see people on a Sunday because they've suddenly needed some help. Um, but most of the time, the women are just able to reach out and ask for support if they need it. And that is, that level of security is enough that a lot of the time they're not reaching out to ask for help because they feel secure enough just knowing that it's there if yeah. they need it. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. So during the postpartum as well, rather than having uh, just maybe one or two visits in the first five days, as happened usually with the hospital, they will have uh, a full yeah. six weeks of uh, support with uh, you. Yeah, that's right. So generally that's a couple of visits, two to three visits in the first week, um, and then a couple of visits in the second week, and then weekly up to six weeks. So the last three weeks we get kind of, um, or three to four weeks, we get weekly visits. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Amazing. 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 So um, I think we've covered the most important things. I don't know if there is anything else that you would like to um, add to this. Um, I think it's just important for women to know all their options. And then obviously there are women who choose to not engage with a system or a midwife at all and choose to manage their pregnancy in a way that they feel comfortable with. And there's you know, women choose to free birth for a variety of different reasons. Some of them, um, it's because it's just what feels right and other come to, others come to it because they're not supported in the system and they may feel like, well, this is my only choice. Um, but they all seem to come to it for varying reasons. And at the end of the day, I think it's important that everyone knows that women have the right to do whatever they want, you know. Um, it, nothing's illegal. No one can make you do anything. No one can force <laughs> yeah, but you to do anything. This is very important, actually. Let's yeah. let's repeat again. Yeah. At the moment in Australia, nothing is illegal. That's exactly <laughs> right. You know, no one can force you to do anything. Um, at the end of the day, no is a complete sentence. You don't need yeah. to provide a PowerPoint presentation as to why you've declined something. Or or, or a thousand of evidence and research yes, on why right. you are choosing something. Because, because often, I feel like we're going towards uh, women having to study all the evidence and all the research yeah. to, you know, argument what is the decision. No, if you say no, it's not. Like, right. really. <laughs> and oftentimes women, they'll be like, well, can you explain to me why you've declined? And she's going... Um, like, of course, it's 2 a.m. and I've just had my baby. And they're like, um, uh, because I read a paper five weeks ago and I can't remember the name of it. And then they <laughs> discount that and they like, oh, dear, clearly she's not very educated. It's like, no, she doesn't have to come and tell you because regardless of what you show them, they will rebut that and be like, oh, no, that's old or that's our day. Yeah, it's not yeah. Australian. Or So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the evidence is saying is the recommendation. It's what is what feels right for you and for some time for some women sometimes that's not what's recommended sometimes yeah. that's something completely different but it's about what is right for you as the person not what the hospital recommends not what your friends did um you know that's what it's you've got to have a really good trust in yourself and feel that you know what's right for you because you yeah i completely agree and i just wanted to add a couple of things as well that uh, most uh, a lot of places in australia they do also have uh, MGP 
and when you do MGP, the only thing is that most MGPs, they don't do home birth. So you do have to go on birth at the hospital and they're still, they still have their hands tied because you're still under the hospital care, the system care. The only difference is that you do get that continuity of care, of course. Yeah. But again, it's the same. If anything falls out of, you know, low mm -hmm. risk physiological, then you still get into the system yeah. trap. That's how I call it. Yeah. And the second option as well that some hospitals have is the birth center. Birth centers is kind of the closest things that they they had to home birth or that's how they describe it. Although I don't think it's anything like home birth, but that is how they were put in place, I guess, in the most places in Australia, because I think they have a birth center at the Royal maybe in Brisbane or something like that. But the reason why birth center, they were first introduced, it was because they were not going to do publicly funded home birth. So and women all... were pushing for better environments and for exactly. More more homely environments and less of a clinical feel women yeah. push for that that's yeah most of the changes are made is by women pushing <laughs> yeah exactly but again like with the birth center is the same with the home birth you need to be classified low risk and at the moment in australia to be low risk it, like it's very hard because uh, they are taking into consideration a lot of things and some of the things they have also to do with like your past life pretty much you know <laughs> that's right yeah yeah so I think that's about it if you do yeah. have any question about it like really reach out either to me or uh Nicole and I hope we've given you some more information on uh, what it's like once you're pregnant and the fact that you actually do have more option because as we said I was already a midwife when I was pregnant and still I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And I, about think it's, said, and I mean, I wasn't a midwife. I was only a student midwife when I had my last baby. But even mm. then, unfortunately, the way maternity care works is kind of on a needs to know basis. If we give you an option and we hope you'll say yes. And if you don't, then we'll offer you the alternatives rather yeah. than offering you all of those at the beginning, which is how I work. But, you know, the hospital goes we want you to do this and women go no thank you and that's exactly the same with if you went to a GP and they said public or private and you were like well, is there anything else I can do like what yeah. else could I do <laughs> sadly um, yeah so that's where it's only when women ask well what else is there what other options are there that they're offered alternatives rather than yeah. being told all the options from the beginning yeah true true well good luck everybody with your beautiful pregnancy and birth journey and thank you so, so much, Nicole, for being here no with us. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Yay. Hey, my friend. Thank you so much for listening again. I think we are in for something really special in this podcast. Let's start this new movement. Hey, buckle up. There's a lot of new things and awesome things that you're going to hear from me. And as you know, just do me a favor, please. Just take a screenshot, put it in your stories and tag me. I promise I will definitely reshare you. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.